You know, today's message or passage, I should say, really has a word for everybody. Whether you're young, whether you're in the prime of life, or whether you're older and find yourself in the aging stage, there's a message in this passage today for you. And so you might wonder, uh, what's the cutoff between young and old and prime of life? I remember many months ago when Josh dismissed us to a lunch and after we said those above 65 could go first, I was shocked how many people at Moraine are not over 65 or how many wouldn't admit it, because <laughs> I know there were way more than that. And uh, so, you know, what, what's the cutoff? Well, well, this passage defines it for us. You're in the prime of life or considered young if your body is still functioning well and is not feeling the limits of getting older. So that's really the, and so if you're older, this is what it is. Your body, and so I have to qualify for older because your body's starting to feel the effects of aging and the limitations that come with it. So if you want to know where you're at today, that's the way you define it. When I'm talking about the younger in the prime of life, your body's still doing pretty good and you're flying well. You're older if you're starting to feel the effects of aging and your body's starting to deteriorate. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're in the next to last week of this series. Next week, we're going to close it up. And we're going to be starting today in verse 7 of Ecclesiastes. I'll give you a moment to get there, and we're going to, have, we're going to start with a word for the young, for those in the prime of life. When I see fingers stop hitting the phone, I'm watching you, Retta. I know when the most people be there then. And when pages stop turning, we know we're there. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7. I want you to watch for three words as we read this because the passage really revolves around three words and each one start with the letter R. The first one is to rejoice. The second one is to remove, and he's going to talk about the things we need to remove from our life to be able to rejoice. And then the third word is remember. What we need to remember, really who we need to remember at the center of our life to rejoice. So this message to the young has to do with the three R's, rejoicing, removing, and remembering. Watch for that as I read the passage. I'm going to start in verse 7 and go up to chapter 12, verse 1, because this is the part of the passage that deals with those who are in the prime of life or young. The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. He's basically saying it's good to be alive, because you can open your eyes in the morning and you see the sun, you see light. Light's a good thing. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember the days of darkness. Now he's talking about old age. Let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. 
Then he says, rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And obviously, this is true of women. This isn't just for men. This is a message for young women, uh, young womanhood. And this says this, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet, know that God will bring you to judgment for all of these. So, remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Then chapter 12, verse 1, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Rejoice, remove, and remember. As a young person, before those days come, when your body starts to deteriorate and feel the effects of aging, and he wants you to rejoice in these days. And he tells us specifically how we do that. Look at verse 9. Rejoice, young man, young woman, during your childhood. Then the end of that phrase, the days of your man, young manhood. So he's speaking to the young. He's speaking to those in the prime of life as he summarizes it in verse 10. And the first thing he says is rejoice. And he tells us specifically how later on in this verse as he says this. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Follow your dreams. What are the dreams that are in your heart as a young person? He's encouraging you to follow those. What are, what are the dreams of the things you see that you want to be a part of your life? He's encouraging us to follow them. I shouldn't say us, you that are younger. He's saying, pursue those. But he says this, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all of these things. Now, he's not saying this. Go pursue your dreams, get it done, and then God's going to spank you. That's not what he's saying. He is saying to follow the dreams of your heart and the things you see. But he says it's tempered with account of accountability before God. And so this pursuit is not going after every lust of my flesh and everything I want to do just because I want it, but it's, it's a done in the, in the presence and the awareness of God with a temper that someday, tempering it with a sense that someday I'm going to be accountable to him. Turn to the next chapter, verse chapter 12. The way the book closes if you remember, I want to take just a moment to talk about judgments, things we don't talk about very often. It's a real part of Scripture, and it's a real part of what God, who God is and what he does, and part of what, if we want to be wise, we need to be aware of. And we learned in verse 13 that the conclusion, when all is said and done with Solomon's investigation of life to find out what brings meaning and significance, is that a person fears God 
and keeps his commandments because this is the whole of man. This is the whole of woman. This is what makes you fully man that God created you to be and fully woman that God created you to be. But then we haven't touched this verse yet. For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. You know, when I think of the justice of God, the judgment of God, how much we long for justice. Um, This is not a political statement. I know people are excited and upset about the writing off of college debt. Aren't you glad that God in his mercy overcame justice in my life and that he wrote off my spiritual debt? And we see a God of judgment and a God of mercy. And what we see in his justice is so different than the justice we see today and what we're so much frustrated by as we watch the news and we hear what takes place. Because we see a God, uh, you know, it says, because this applies to every person, for God will bring every act to judgment. There is no partiality with God's judgment. He has no favorites. It doesn't matter what color you are. You know, whatever your skin color is, that doesn't matter when we stand before God. It doesn't matter your economic status. Just because you're wealthy, you don't get off with a few things and get breaks like we see often in the justice systems today. Nor do you if you're poor. Because just because you're poor and oh, yeah, you know that you've had it tough, so we're going to let you off. Or God doesn't do that. God's judgment and justice is with our partiality. And you know what? It doesn't matter what position you are. Doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States, an ex-president of the United States, the family of the president. Doesn't matter if you're a politician. Doesn't matter if you're a sports figure. Doesn't matter if you're an actor. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. There is, every person is going to stand before God, and this will be a just judgment that everybody will be accountable for. So there's no partiality in God's judgment, and it's all-inclusive. Look at back at verse 14. For God will bring every act to judgment. Every act. And look what he goes on to say, whether it is, or I'm sorry, every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. God will judge everything. The things that people see, that we do out in public in front of others, as well as the things that are private or even in the privateness of our own heart, the things that are hidden from others that nobody else sees except for us, God is going to judge every one of those. And God's judgment is fair. You know what fair means? It's equal to the crime or it's equal to the reward. Because you see, whether it be good or whether it be evil, what God is gonna deal out in response to the evil 
that is done will be a punishment that is fair in light of the evil that was done. In the scripture, we see that an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you know, we say God, God's fairness in his judgment and his limitation from overdoing it. What we see today when we look at justice, we see an eyelash for an eye. You know, in other words, um, you know, you committed a crime that's worthy of losing your eye, well, we'll just take an eyelash out. Or it may be a crime that's only worthy of an eyelash and they take out the eye. God's judgment is fair, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And when God judges, it will be fair. And you know what just means? It means the same standard for everybody. It means there isn't one standard for this group and one standard for this group. It'll be the same for everybody. And when God judges, his word is the ultimate standard on which he looks at life. And he looks at us and the way he judges people. So when we think of God's judgment, we need to understand it's nothing like the kind of justice we see today that frustrates us on both ends of the spectrum. But it's a judgment that is without partiality, that is all-inclusive, that is fair, and that is just. And when we're aware of that, that should temper the way we live. Now when I go and pursue the desires of my heart, it's tempered by the fact that someday I'm gonna give an account to God uh, for what I do. And in the same way, um, this awareness should temper these things I'm looking at in my eyes and want. So the first thing he tells us to do those that are young, enjoy your life. Rejoice. Pursue it with all your heart. Pursue your dreams. Pursue the things you want, but do it with an awareness of God and not just throwing God to the side, forgetting God, and just doing whatever's in your heart. So that's his first word to the young. Then he says this in verse 10 of chapter 11. Now he talks about removing. These things we've got to remove if you're young and you want to rejoice in life. So remove grief and anger from your heart and put away pain from your body. Because, why? Because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting away. It goes by fast. And I can testify to you guys, it goes by fast. <laughs> I can remember my high school years like they were yesterday and my college years, and it's like, you're, you're kidding me, you know? And so life flies by. So don't waste this time by letting your heart be full of irritations. Whether you're getting angry over stuff or whether you're discouraged over things, get your heart clean. Remove these things from your heart. I want to encourage you, God is all about the business of sanctifying our hearts. He's all about cleaning up the stuff that is in our hearts that is junk, that are irritants, that are stealing from us the ability to enjoy life. And I just want to encourage you, what you need to do is bring your heart to God, say, God, do surgery on me. I need you to do some work in my life. 
I need to be set free and delivered. I need to remove this stuff from my heart. And you know, some of you might say, Pat, it's not that simple for me. You don't understand. It's a lifetime. It's the, well, God's bigger than that. But also, we got a resource on Tuesday nights called Emotional Resilience that uh, really helps people that have wrestled with things in their hearts and affected their life and their emotions, where they go in depth week by week to look at this and help you understand how God and his spirit will work to deliver you from that. Encourage you to show up Tuesday night, the other end of the building, if this is something, because young people, life is flying by and you don't want to let grief and anger or any other kind of irritant stink up your heart during these days. He says, put away pain, the Hebrew word, literally evil, from your body. These are the sins of the flesh. He's talking about all the way from eating to substance abuse to laziness to sexual sins. What he's saying here in your youth Get rid of those irritants that are in your heart. Don't use your body in a sinful way. But what you need to do is you need to walk with God, rejoicing in him. Remove these things from your life as you, as he says in verse 12. Here's the third thing. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Do all this as you're remembering God. Bring God into the center of your life. We'll talk about that more in a minute because that's the theme for the whole passage. But while your body is still functioning well, while you don't have the limits of what happens when the body starts to deteriorate and feel all the limitations of aging, enjoy life to the fullest. Remove the things from your heart that are going to stink it up from enjoying it. And remember God, put him at the center of all of it. So that's the word for those that are in the prime of life, that those that are young. But he has a word for those that are aging as well. In chapter 12, as we continue on, we're going to see this passage is built around two key words. Remember and the word before. It's the idea, it's remembering God before certain things happen. We see three things in verse 1, and we saw it already starting in uh, chapter 11 from verses 8 to the end of that chapter. Verse 1 is about remember God while you're still young. Remember your creator while you're still young. The next group he's going to talk about are those that are aging, those that are older. And he's going to say, remember God when you're old. And then the third part is going to be this. Remember God before you die, before it's too late, before it's too late. Now, when we uh, read here chapter 12 in just a second, it's the image of a deteriorating house that's falling apart. And uh, there's been a lot of debate over what these different images mean. All we know is it's an image. Uh, nobody disagrees that it's an image about aging and the body and getting old. People might disagree about the details, so I'm not gonna to try to get into the details today. The big picture is, is that there's a body that's gonna deteriorate, that's gonna impact your life. Uh, so watch for that as I read verse one 
through verse 5. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain in the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and the mighty men stoop. The grinding ones stand idle because they are few and those who look through windows grow dim. And the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. And one will arise at the sound of the bird and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along and the caperberry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember God in your old age before you die and you go to your eternal home and those that love you will be go about mourning in the streets. And then he says this in verse 6. The image of death in four different images. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the the citron is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. What a reference to Genesis when God created man from the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life. When the dust returns to the earth and the spirit back to God who gave it. See, the big idea of this passage, it doesn't matter whether you're young, whether you're in the prime of life or old, is to remember God before it's too late. Remember God before it's too late. Now, the word remember here is really not the word of just calling him back to mind and remember. It's a matter of calling him back to mind in a way that changes the way that I live. And so it's a, it's a means of moment by moment remembering, as Ecclesiastes teaches us, that the center of life and the place where I'm going to find meaning is in my relationship with God, not with all these worldly things that I could pursue after. And it's to remember that God is your creator. He's the one who's the source of your life who made you. And that God is the judge who someday your life will be accountable to. And remember, as we've seen throughout the book, God is the giver of the good gifts that I have in life. And as we've seen and saying today throughout Ecclesiastes, our life is in his hands. That's what Ecclesiastes teaches us about God. So he's telling us, he's going, I don't care if you're young, old, or on the edge of the deathbed. Remember the God who created you, the God whose days and life are in his hands, the God who is in control of everything. And remember, he's the source of everything we need in this life. That's what this passage is saying. Put Jesus 
at the center of your life. Seek him until the end. Serve him until the end. Love him until the end. Trust him until the end. Obey him to the end. That's what this passage is saying. No matter what age we're at, put Jesus at the center of your life and live for him. So what's that mean for you and me? Let's see if we can bring it down a little bit lower. You know, um, a couple weeks ago, I shared a message about uh, the fact that we're all going to die and that wisdom in Ecclesiastes is live our life to the fullest. Before that happens, that's what he tells us to do. Uh, many of you know that I preached through, this is the, I think it's the first time I've ever done the same book two times, but I, God's led me to do it. And I did this about 12 years ago. And I did that same uh, message about dying in two messages and the idea of the wisdom that comes from Ecclesiastes in that. Well, I gave it to one of my doctors that I was seeing, and uh, I remember that the next time I saw him, I'll, I'll never forget, the first words out of his mouth was this, you're in deep, and I can't repeat the word from the pulpit that he said to me. You could imagine what it was. He said, I listened to your tapes, And the day after I listened to it, I was supposed to meet a guy for lunch, and his wife died the night before. He said, that message hit me like a ton of bricks. I realized that all the plans that I've made for my future and all the money that I save for my future may never happen. Then he said this, I don't just need to make small changes, I need to make big changes, and I don't know what to do. What an opportunity to talk about Jesus, huh? And that we did. And this is the reality for each one of us. Do we have not just some tweaks to make? Maybe I have some big changes to make to my life. Now, fortunately, we do know what to do, those of us that know Jesus and know his word. And we hear today from this, we should be rejoicing in all the days we have that God has given us as a gift and trusting him to give us the ability to enjoy the gifts and the work and to see the good and the work that he's given us to do, just like he saw good in the work that he did in creation. And that we are to be people who are not just remembering God on Sunday morning or for an hour in our quiet time or half an hour or 15 minutes, whatever you do, but God should be at the center of my life all day long, all life long. I'm going to encourage you. You're not too young. I know our young people are probably in the other end of the building right now. But uh, teens, young people that are here, you're not too young to be used significantly by God. Mary, the mother of Jesus, who God entrusted the care of Jesus to, was a teenager when God chose her to be the mother of Jesus. Most of the disciples, if not all of them, were in their teens. 
These are the people who Jesus said, I'm gonna invest my three years of ministry here on earth in these 12 men, and I'm gonna invest in them deeply, and I'm gonna entrust to them a worldwide mission to bring the message of Jesus Christ to the whole world. They were teenagers. Don't think I gotta wait till someday when I get older. I think of a third grader that was talking to my wife last year and said, I have a friend who I've been inviting to come to club. This third grader had been praying for this friend and talking to this friend about Jesus and was concerned about her friend not knowing Jesus in third grade. I know fifth grader that works down on the other end and is a helper on Sunday mornings in the Sunday class. Matter of fact, the same girl, uh, one of our Sunday mornings, it was a holiday weekend, and we didn't even have enough people to run the cameras. We had a fifth grader standing behind the camera for the first time in her life because she was willing to serve. And you probably didn't even know. She did, I didn't even know it. Until afterwards, I thought, you're kidding me. She was doing the cameras, and we would have never known it. A fifth grader working here among us. How many high schoolers have we had? Think of it just recently with our uh, summer Bible club. How many high schoolers invested in our children and did an unbelievable job, and they continually to do that? How many college and singles do we have that are investing in our high school ministry and impacting young lives for Jesus? How many high school kids, college kids, singles have we had up here leading us in worship? and helping us connect with the living God. Nobody is too young to be used by God. We need to remember God in our youth, live our life for him and put him at the center of it. And now let me speak to another group. None are too old to be used by and serve God. Remember Caleb? Story of Caleb in the Bible, God sent out 12 spies into the land. And there the people were were big and strong and the cities were fortified. There were 12 spies that went out. When they brought back the report, 10 of them said, these people are too big and too strong and their cities are fortified. They'll wipe us out. There's no way we can do this. And guess what happened, guys? And this is unfortunate. The 10 usually impact the whole congregation. <laughs> so the 10 spies impact the people of Israel, and they moaned and weeped about, you know, we're going to get killed here, and God brought us over here to kill us, and they're complaining and moaning and groaning. But Caleb was a man of a different spirit. Caleb... 85 years old, saw these people that were big and strong in these fortified cities, not as an obstacle, but an opportunity for God to show his power. He was a man of a different spirit. That's what the scripture says about Caleb. And he took at 85 that mountain for God, and God blessed him. Now here's the reality. Seniors, my friends, and I'm sure it's not true at Moraine, but probably beyond the walls here. Many seniors are like the 10. They complain, they're critical, 
They see problems with everything. And what the kingdom of God needs, what your family needs, what your friends need, what your grandkids need to see, what younger believers in Jesus need to see are the Caleb's of the senior group. How desperately the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ, Moraine Valley Church, and young people need to see Caleb's, that they can say, that's how you do the senior years. You don't complain and criticize and moan and groan about everything, but rather you see an opportunity, not only do you believe God's big enough for it, but you put your hands to it and you make a difference. The times are too crucial for seniors to check out. Yeah, I'm talking about even those of us whose bodies are breaking down, but you know what the New Testament says, while our body is decaying, our inner man is being renewed every day. And God's using that brokenness to break down more and more of the flesh and bring out more and more of Jesus in our life. And so seniors, there is never a time more if you've been walking with Jesus that you, and by the way, if you haven't been and you're like the 10 who are complaining and moaning and groaning, good day to repent of that and begin to walk with Jesus in such a way that you can see a God that can use even you to make a difference and to put your hands to the work and to believe God to do wonderful things. Guys, we're living in a culture that is so different than us. And our kids, I'm, I'm concerned about our kids. You have to watch the schools. You gotta see what's being taught. Not everything's bad, but you better know your school and you better know your area. As some agendas are very different than the agenda that God would have in his kingdom. So I wanna encourage you as a senior, if you need to repent this morning, repent. Put your hands to the work. You know, I got a concern, to be honest with you, with how many of our young parents are working on the other end week in and week out and missing an opportunity to come to church because we just don't have everybody who sees the opportunity to impact the, these young children for Jesus. I'd love to give them a break. They only sign you up and say, hey, one time a month. What an opportunity for grandmas and grandpas moms and dads that are a little bit older to jump in and say, you know, these young parents need to get their hearts filled on Sunday morning with Jesus. I can do this once a month. I'd encourage you seniors, brothers and sisters and friends, go back to the next step table today. Tell them, give my name to Kara. I'm willing to work. I want to make a difference not only in these kids for Jesus, but for these young parents who so desperately need to be refreshed in worship and hear the word of God. So let me close with this passage. Turn in your Bibles. You're in Ecclesiastes. Just turn back a little bit. Proverbs, then Psalms. Turn to Psalm 92. This is a passage really impact all of us, but especially for those of us that are older. Psalm 92, starting in verse 12. says this, 
the righteous man will flourish like a palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. Let me ask, are you, I don't care what age you are right now, because this passage is talking about a righteous man. Doesn't talk about their age. Are you planted in the house of the Lord? Are you living in the presence of God? That's what it means to remember God all day long for the rest of our lives. That means I'm practicing the presence of God and that God is in my life and every decision and every word and every thought and every motive and every act. This man's planted in the house of the Lord in the presence of the Lord. But then verse 14, now this is for my friends that are a little bit older. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green, healthy and strong and fruitful for seniors who are living their life in the presence of the Lord, that are practicing remembering Jesus in everything, every day, all day long, the rest of your life. And when you're living like that, guess what your old age is like? It's fruitful. It's full of sap. And I know some of us, yeah, they're full of sap, you say that, but you know what they're talking about. They're talking about this in the best sense. And they're very green. Verse 15, to do what? Here's why. To declare that the Lord is upright. He's my rock. He's the one I'm trusting in. He's the one I'm building my life on. He's the foundation of my life. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Brothers and sisters, all I can tell you, the wisest man in the world, Solomon, said, I don't care what age you are, put Jesus at the center of your life. Walk a life in his presence day in and day out, moment by moment. You'll find the joy, you'll find the fruitfulness, you'll find the health, you'll find the vitality, and guess what? It's going to spill out on others around you. Praise God, he'll get the glory because only God can do that. So Father, I just pray that speak to each one of us where we need to be spoken to this morning. Lord, uh, whether you're young and you need to remove things out of your heart or you need to live with remembrance of Jesus, and Father, whether we're aging and our bodies are getting old. I want to pray, God, for those who are like the 10 spies. Would you speak to them today? Would you bring conviction and repentance? But I pray for the Caleb's as well, Lord, that you will continue to stir them and motivate them to continue to use their life to bring out the finest, strongest, best fruit that's been bubbling for years in their life to pour it out on others for your glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.